Hey everyone, I'm AJ Fry, and welcome to Mistakes Were Made, the podcast about mistakes that we've made, how they affect us, and hopefully what we can learn from them. The format for Mistakes Were Made was in part inspired by the TIFU or Today I Fucked Up subreddit where people submit written stories of mistakes they've made anonymously. An example might be, Today I fucked up by going to an Arabian Nights-themed party in brownface. That's a joke, but also an excellent example of the kind of story that you'll find there. And to fully embrace the mantra of mistakes, I leave any in that I make while recording the top and tail of each episode, and I endeavor to minimally edit the live recording, which has been mixed but is otherwise entirely uncut this time around. My guest for this fourth episode joined me back on August 5th when I hosted a live show at Burdock Brewery in Toronto, and I'll be back after the live recording to offer some corrections and further insight for anything forgotten on stage to present a word from our sponsor, and to offer a tease from the next episode of Mistakes Were Made. In his 1998 book Brain Droppings, George Carlin wrote, Don't make the same mistake twice. Seems to indicate three mistakes, doesn't it? First you make the mistake, then you make the same mistake, then you make the same mistake twice. If you simply say, don't make the same mistake, you'll avoid the first mistake. I'm AJ Fry, and this is Mistakes Were Made. Joining me for a chat and some personal reflection, international multidisciplinary artist, Curtis Tallway Santiago, everyone. So we've really only started chatting for the very first time today. My previous guest, some mistakes were made, I, I know very well, and we're just getting to know one another. You know nothing about me. Well, I know some you don't things even know about you. <laughs> You could be an imposter, I suppose. Exactly. exactly. All those videos I saw on the internet, though, yeah, pretty but that's convincing. <laughs> Anything's possible there. <laughs> Dropping the X hamster on me—that's amazing. Um, I was gonna make a deep fakes joke, uh, but now, kind of, kind of beat me to it. So, multidisciplinary artist. Mm-hmm. You've done some TV hosting as well. Yes. So, what disciplines can people find your art in? Uh, you can find it in music. You can find it in painting, sculpture. It's all like. It's contemporary art, so it's all, you know, whatever thing. If you learned how to macrame in grade three, right. you do that, and then you just put it in a gallery with nothing else around it and put, like, a price tag of $100,000 on it, and then you're like, oh, my God, it's contemporary. Well, an artist. <laughs> we had dinner together, and, and uh, I, I know you're going to roll with these stupid questions. I have never been ashamed to ask stupid questions. So, so bear with me. I, I've had very limited encounters with other, you know, actual real artists who create tangible physical material. Most of the artists that I talk to are actors and writers and such. Um, is it the difference between like a successful artist and someone who's just, you know, making art, the ability to sell their art? Like, what is the quantifier between someone who's a talented artist and someone who isn't? Is it? It's well, the, it, there, there is none. That's like the, the, the business that I'm in is ridiculous. It's crazy. Um, you take an artist like Henry Darger. Has anybody heard of Henry Darger? So Darger was a janitor in a school, and every night he would go home and create this fictional world of these kind of androgynous baby naked characters, and he did these watercolor drawings, and there's thousands of them, and it's insane. And his story runs 500 years of uh, these different generations of characters, and then someone discovers it in a shoebox and recognizes he's an artist. He didn't know how to sell himself, but he his work is incredible. So yeah, right. it's 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 so much like 
I was making this thing in my apartment that galleries didn't want to look at and people thought were kitschy or weird. Or I was making miniatures. I was into small dioramas. And then it took a Parisian gallerist to be like, no, this is the next thing. And next thing you know, I'm traveling around the world making miniatures and now I'm doing paintings and large installations. And it was just one person deciding that this thing could actually be art with a capital A. Oh. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, you just got back into Toronto. You currently live in Lisbon in Portugal. No, I'm decentralized. Okay. Yeah. You have no fixed address. None. You whatsoever. are a yeah. world traveler. Yes, I was you, last You're spending in... some time in Lisbon. Yes, I was there for... I had an apartment for two years. Yeah. I was at the apartment for maybe a year. And the rest of that, I've just been riding this wave of whatever it is. And that is traveling around the world, exhibiting my work and making work and collaborating with people. And yeah. So, I mean, we've had uh, discussions this evening with other folks who just say yes. Has that been your mantra in, in your own travels and art? Or are you a little bit more selective? No, now because to play the game, it's like I can't remember which movie it is where, uh, oh, my God, and maybe it's not Blow, but the one with Jennifer Lawrence and it's a drug dealing movie. And uh, uh, she American the, Hustle? Yes. Where yeah. he says, the more you tell them they can't have it, the more they want it. So the more I say no now oh. at this part of my, in the beginning of my career, I say yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I'm the same. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now the more I say no, the more in demand it becomes and the more I can choose the projects that I want. Mm. Yeah. But uh, for the longest time, it wasn't like that. How do you get into flow as an artist? Like, what is your, your process then when you've got something that you're working on? Is it just you sit down and you have no problem? Like, I mean, I face writer's block when I try to be creative sometimes. But I'm in the midst of a creative block right now, ah. which is like the first time in a long time. And I think it's simply because Assassin's Creed Odyssey and okay. PS4 <laughs> entered my... Yeah, it's... Uh, I'm thinking of just presenting screen caps and speaking about, you know, the... Uh, I don't that, know. That like, is a thing, work. though. There is a legitimate scene of like video game photography. There are people who take it pretty seriously and write scripts so that they can actually implement different types of lenses in games that aren't originally coded there. There's a whole scene around that. Okay, well, I think not. I found something that might just... Well, there you go. Two birds with one stone. <laughs> what is your uh, favorite type of art to appreciate? Like, what You're obviously of a connoisseur of, of so much. All of and it. You have, yeah. um, you're the curator of the recent Basquiat uh, exhibition. I was, no, I was an artist advisor but I curated curated their like Met Ball, Met Gala thing where I brought in artists. I've done some curation. Okay. My favorite art is the art of kids, of art of the people who are not trained, who didn't study in drawing school. I can appreciate someone who's incredibly technical. I love that, of course. Right. But I love when people render things just with their own eye and hand and the skills that they've been given. As long as it's honest and authentic, mm. I, I dig it. That's, that's really what I'm into. So like Art Brute was a movement that they called for a while and that was like going into mental homes and taking the drawings of the patients and then curators started curating that and it became a thing. But I really, because I was told I couldn't draw. In school, I failed. I was convinced that I couldn't draw. And then... In 2017, I went to drawing school for a semester, and the things that I couldn't do there, or the way that I was drawing, the teachers were like, no, no, there's something there. And then a year later, I get an exhibition at one of the world's major drawing museums. And this is for me sitting there for previous years, like 
three years ago and being like, I can't fucking draw. Like, don't look at my shit. Wow. Um, before I, I got into uh, television stuff, like in high school, teachers kept telling me, you should go to Sheridan for their animation program. This was the thing that I was going to do, but I, was, I don't think I'm good enough for this sort of thing, so... Maybe it's time to go back to my animation jobs now. <laughs> I'll curate we'll something for you. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make millions, kid. We'll work together. You know, I, I have trouble sometimes. Like, I, I love going to museums, but I find the parlance around art sometimes very off-putting because it's always the, this is an exploration of the so hoity-toity up its own butt sometimes where you don't need yeah, that to just appreciate, oh, yeah, that, that looks pretty cool. I love what they've done with the colors there and the design and the flow and the shapes and stuff. Do you, do you have trouble writing? Do you have to write that stuff? Is that no, your obligation? No, but I think there was a generation of artists that felt like they had to. And some people are really good at taking their shit and smearing it on a page and calling that words. But I think that, uh, just honestly, just give me authentic. Like, why did you paint that? I don't know, man. I was really high. I started... <laughs> And, like, that's good for me because I can look at it like Tom York's lyrics. You don't always know. When you first heard Radio Before Head before you read lyrics, you were, like, you were just vibing on it, making it up, imagining what it could be and feeling something from it. And that's what I want from art. I just want authentic. Just that I'm tired. Like, it's Part of the writer's block is sometimes recognizing I'm in an industry that's just filled with bullshit. Yeah. Like, so... Geez. And I go to like Venice for the Venice Biennale. And so we're in Venice, and these wealthy, wealthy people are standing in front of me. We're walking through this exhibition. And finally, this woman just turns to her husband. She goes, they are making the fools of us. This is like the emperor's new clothes. This is nothing. This is bullshit. And everybody in the room was like, yeah. 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 But just seconds ago, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I can't work in an office. I tried that. Yeah. This is a hustle that I am fortunate. I love making art. And I've found I can, because I'm an outsider. I left high school very early. Mm. I didn't graduate from high school. But now I teach at universities. Nice! <laughs> was it your choice to leave or did you get kicked out like no, I did? No, I, I, I had to leave because uh, I was in a band of older guys and they were going out on the road. And what was Math 10 going to teach me right. when they were going out to perform in front of people? And I wanted to be a singer and I wanted to do that. Uh, I, got, I failed grade 10 math twice. Oh, my. Don't even get me. I, yeah, it was no, yeah. no bueno. Um, let's talk about some mistakes made because I, I gotta say, so I sent, you know, the same kind of email to Marissa and Laura and Maury. Hey, tell me about, you know, mistakes made. And all, they're all like, I don't know, really. And Curtis hit me with some amazing quotes here. The inability to say no leading to failure, but huge learning lesson for my career. Mistake number one. What does that mean? Okay. So I'm going to give you that. This is going to be my first time telling the full story on this one. All right. So, um... There was not, I was living in Toronto, and there was no opportunity for me. Uh, first of all, like this is a real thing. Like The AGO just had an exhibition of an artist of color, a contemporary artist of color who is from Toronto. This is the first time they've ever shown a local in the museum, not in like the downstairs community arts section. So prior to a few years ago, there was little movement in any of the contemporary galleries for First Nation artists, for Chinese artists, anybody who wasn't really looking like 
a white guy, you weren't really getting a look. So it was, the AGO was really pumping that mandate. So there was a group of women who are some of the wealthiest women in the city who have this group called Partners in Arts, where they fund the arts. So Basquiat was having this renaissance moment. Basquiat is a street artist from New York who's not even really a street artist. He was a fine artist, a painter who rose to prominence. And he had this moment a few years ago where there was this, this movie, Radiant Child. So this group of ladies saw Radiant Child. And I guess they put out a call out looking for like a young black male artist who could kind of do this Basquiat thing. And so I got this email and I read it and I was like, yes. I, need, I just need an opportunity. So it started with them being like, okay, we're having this event. Can you do a performance? I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. What I'm gonna do is these collage portraits of people. You'll sit down, I'll have a, minimal, minim, uh, a limited amount of time, and I'll do this portrait. Okay, yeah, that's great, great, great. Can you do some um, silk scarves? We wanna sell something. Can you do silk? Yeah, I know how to do silk scarves. So now I'm in my kitchen dyeing silk scarves <laughs> and taking them to a screen printer. So we're doing the silk scarves. Can you? Maybe you could sing. You sing. You do music. Could you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that. And so then the final straw was like, we want to wear something you're wearing. So why don't you um, paint these jeans for us? Like we're gonna bring clothes by, and you're gonna paint them. And so I was like, okay, yes, yes. And now I've stacked all these things on my plate, and I'm trying to get it done. And I'm trying to. And they're sending more emails, being like, yes, can you do this? Can you do this? And it's yes, yes, yes. And the day of the event comes, and maybe out of all the things, they've been done maybe 70%. And for me, I'm like, this is the first time I'm confronted with, like, I've, ha I, I've given all my ass, but it's still half-assed. Half -assed. And so I learned that, well, not even learned in that moment. So while uh, this is a little side note that I have never shared with anybody, while I was painting the jeans, there was one particular lady in the group that I was like, oh, she's an older cutie. Oh my gosh, I think she's so cute. And while I'm painting her jeans, shit you not, I'm like, oh, oh, the paint. And I'm like splashing it on the butt of the jeans and I'm thinking about her. <laughs> so the event happens. <laughs> the next day, we're packing up the event and she comes over to my section where I have some music, some drawings, a t-shirt, the duh, the silk scarves, bam. And she's like, okay, I'm gonna take that, I'll take that, I'll take that, and I'll take you. Ooh. <laughs> Mummy! <laughs> I got so scared. And I, I didn't even know what to do. I was like, uh, uh I'm like, no. <laughs> that evening, an email goes out to the whole group of ladies. I have reason to believe that Curtis may have stolen some of the silk scarves. Oh. And she kept on, and I'm trying to defend myself in emails. And I'm like, I, uh, especially when I get anxious, my communication through type, the words like mildly dyslexic, things just start. Understood. So I'm trying to respond to these things and she's coming at me being like over and over and now the group is like, well, we have to count these scarves and da -da. the night was chaotic. Their kids were wearing scarves and dancing around. Right. And so finally, one of the ladies in the group said, sent me a private email and she goes, Santiago, you gotta learn how to get your bitch hat on. 
when people keep coming at you, the more they demand, you've got to learn how to say no. Mm. And you need to learn to stand up for yourself and call this person out. I know kind of probably what went down, but you need to learn how to stand up for yourself. So in that whole craziness, finally, I was like, I didn't call her out specifically. I was like, look, this is what I saw. Da, 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 da. I'm not responding to any more emails. You've gotten my time. You've gotten my art. I'm out. Mm. And that ended it. But I learned my lesson of not taking on the power of voodoo art, mm. <laughs> not to use those powers for evil. <laughs> <laughs> and what my mentor told me, he said, in the art world, you're going to meet these super rich collectors who think they own you. And it's mainly, honestly, in my experience, it's mainly the, the wives of really wealthy families who are buying the art for the family. They come to your studio and they do the thing. Yeah. And when they come to do the, ooh, learning how to let them down. So my, the best, one of the best lessons I got from my mentor was how to just be like, oh, ooh, I wish. <laughs> oh, but my partner, oh, I, mm, Yeah. And let it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we got time for one more story. If you got one more in you. I got, I, I got one more. This one has another interesting introduction. No, no, I'm not going to do that one. Okay. This one is inspired by all the conversations and, the like, Yeah. Hit us. What is it? There's been so much celebrity talk and celebrity sightings and these interactions with them. So let me tell you about uh, when each time I felt like I fucked it up with the same person. Oh. Yeah. So picture it. It's art related. We're in the MoMA in okay. New York. Yeah. Picasso has this beautiful sculpture exhibit where he has all his, you know, these wild sculptures. And I'm in this, and I'm there studying, and I have my book of African sculpture, which I'm looking, at the moment, I'm looking at this thing, and I'm being like, man, Picasso's riffing off this pretty hard, like the arms out the head, it's, and these Amazons come in. And they're like, I like to stand up, fur up top, like taller than me, and just, they smell so good. And like, just like New York money. And standing beside them in the most rattiest outfit in Philadelphia base, uh, Eagles football hat is Bradley Cooper. <laughs> so Coop and I are standing beside each other. And the, the, one of the Amazons says, and it, I won't do the Russian accent, but they were Russian. And she was like, oh, he's a Picasso's a genius. How would he have come up with this? Blah, 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 blah. And I elbow Coop. And he looks over to me and I'm like, and I point to the book. And so he grabs the book, and he's like, and I'm like, yeah, you know, Picasso, da, 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 and we're talking, yeah. and now we're all in. And he goes to turn the page, and the book is so old, and all the pages fall out of the book. <laughs> so now Bradley Cooper and I are on the ground <laughs> of the MoMA. Just, I'm like, don't worry, Brad. Like, so we gather them up. He kind of awkwardly hands me the book, and he's like, all right, yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay, so... That happens. And now I'm at school in uh, the West Village and uh, when I went to that drawing school and I would go across the street to this place called the Marlton Hotel and I'd have a tea and it was the one thing I could afford there. And so I'm having my tea. Is this years or months? Or? No, this is like the same time period. So this is like maybe a month or okay. a couple months later. Um, I'm in the Marlton and I'm tea. You know, I have to go pee. And so in the Marlton, you have these individual bathroom stalls. Mm. And so I'm in mine, and I'm coming out, and as I'm coming out, 
lo and behold, guess who's standing in front of me? Mr. Bradley Cooper. Coop. So he looks at me and he's like, I know you, I don't know you, and goes to shake my hand, but I haven't dried my hands, and right. they're still dripping wet. And I go in and I shake his hand, and he kind of like, Ugh. Uh, I've been there. Pulls yeah. his hand back, yeah, and then just kind of we awkwardly slide by each other, and I say, hey, hey. <laughs> and then I, so I didn't really fuck up, but I kind of feel like I ruined it with him. Like him and I now maybe. I don't know what, I think it's on him yeah. to kind of mend that between us. I feel like, you know, your third interaction has to be like a buddy movie traveling through the art world together, meeting in men's bathrooms at museums and such. That's, yeah, that's, that just happens in the art world all the time. So, uh, so where can folks check out your stuff? You're at the Toronto, and I'm going to mess this up. Mess B it. Biennale? No. No, so in Italy they say the Biennale. The Biennale. In Toronto, in Toronto we say the Biennial. Biennial. Yeah, the Toronto Biennial. Toronto is getting its first Biennial, which will happen this fall. And it's uh, an amazing, truly diverse group, cross-section of artists. And so a biennial often is like uh, a survey of contemporary arts at the time from the view of like the three curators that they've brought in from around the world to kind of be like, oh, we should look at this. These people are in dialogue. And we're all making work about the history of Toronto, fake histories, all sorts of the water. Right. And uh, yeah, and so this will be the first time, and I'm building a large public installation. It will be my first public sculpture of that uh, yeah, from, from dire handheld to life size. From mini to big. Yeah, yeah and uh, yeah, so that's what I'm here doing, just making art for the summer and hanging out with my friends and yeah. Very cool. You can check that out September 18th to, uh, well it runs for 72, 72 days, days after September 18th and then you've also got a solo show at the Drawing Center in New York City February 14th. On my birthday. Valentine's Day and your birthday. And so this is kind of like um, again, I recognize that the world I'm in is like very, it's like it's a little niche thing, you know I don't expect anyone to ever know these locations, but the Drawing Center has held like Picasso's major drawing show and it's for a Canadian, for me uh, this is like the turning point in my career where it's like if I hit a home run in the ninth inning, I win the World Series. Well, congratulations so. on that. Thank you so much for joining us. Mistakes were made with Curtis Santiago. Thank you. And thank you one more time, everyone, for coming out, joining us here at the Burdock, raising 200 bucks for a great cause. Let's go have some drinks and party. Thanks so much, everyone. Big thank you again to Curtis for joining me, as well as to Maury, Laura, and Marissa for answering the call, and to everyone who was there that magical night back in August. I was honestly overwhelmed by the number of folks who came out to help kickstart mistakes were made, so I thank you all from the bottom of my heart. Uh, there were a few folks in the audience who uh, I figure will make great guests in the future as well. And speaking of future guests, next week's episode will be the first one recorded more privately, and I've got a sneak peek at that right after this. This episode of Mistakes Were Made is brought to you by our collective existential dread. Global warming, melting ice caps, and a biodiversity crisis. Super volcanoes, wildfires, category five hurricanes, and planet killer asteroids. Gender wars, trade wars, storage wars, and nuclear wars. 
peak oil, resource scarcity, racism, fascism, ageism, sexism, nationalism, and Nazis. Mass shootings, Ebola virus, bee colony collapse, homophobia, transphobia, and all the other silly phobias. Incels, Brexit, and the elected officials in the world's largest democracy are keeping innocent children in cages. Everything's on fire, everything's wrong, and we can't seem to stop fighting each other long enough to do anything about it. Thanks to our collective existential dread, at least we're in this shit together. So I go up, I don't even check the, the people or anything, go up, open the door, and it is six heavily armed U.S. Marshals uh, in like, like raid, like body armor. And the guy in front is holding, I'm pretty sure it was just the shotgun from Jurassic Park. Like it was the scariest looking gun I've ever seen. And he's like, hey man, can we come in? That was a clip from my chat with Jonathan Rose Lyon. He's a YouTube creator and comic writer. And for the full story, you'll need to check back next Monday morning for the first episode of Mistakes Were Made, not recorded in front of a live audience. Maybe it's a mistake to try a new format. Let's find out together. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating. Please, 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 please. And tell your friends, I'm also uh, making all kinds of mistakes, clearly. So if you've noticed any or have an idea of how I can improve the podcast, I would genuinely love to hear it. So please send me any and all comments or criticisms. I'm at AJ Fry on all the things, and I'm thanking you for listening. See you in the future.